It feels like we're in the first inning. Use AI in our business. We have natural language processing people on staff. We score, we've scored 40 million pieces of news by this point. But I'll say that in my experience, none of this stuff lives up to the hype. Like the hype train is strong. It's just as strong as crypto was a year ago. And we see what happened there. So I am just, I love this stuff. I think it's really interesting. I just, I'm not, like they, there are people on Twitter saying a year from now, there won't be any graphic designers or there won't be any poem writers or there won't be any content writers. There won't be any blog posts because they're all just gonna be made by AI. And that's what I'm like, okay, guys, come on. The water's fine, homie, jump into the deep end So it you will reap it We're talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it Take a deep breath You are now rocking with Founder Secrets And we're live So I think today's going to end up being pretty heavy AI-driven topics we'll, We're going to talk about a new business idea We'll talk about some something that Flavio found around character generation using AI We'll talk about how you can use the new chat platform for emails and messaging. And then we'll wrap up with how do you know a startup idea is good? How's that sound? That sounds amazing. All right. So let's start. So why don't you, do you want to tell everybody what is this chat GPT? Like what is this whole thing? Why, why do you think people are so excited about it? This thing called transformers, which are a way of feeding AI all the data, say, all the text you get on the internet. And by having so much data in there, what the model creates is a way of querying it and it'll just pull something that it thinks will finish that sentence. So it's often, what is the answer to this mathematical question? And it'll pull all the mathematical questions it's read through the internet and it'll guess out what the answer is. And somebody actually tested it and uh, got a better score on the SAT than, uh, than my nephew. And he's human. So no, nothing against him. He did his best. But that's an example I found compelling of what you can do with these models. And Stable Diffusion is one company that's done this. OpenAI is a company that Elon Musk co-founded. And now they've raised over a billion dollars. And so because of, I think, the sort of new algorithm, plus a lot of data, plus the capital and infrastructure, like the actual processors getting cheaper and cheaper. That's how we have to experience it. In addition to Google, which has DeepMind and Facebook's got other ones. So they've had this, but just used it to drive more ad sales and make money. But now it's finally coming to the masses through these other rebel companies, I'd say. Yeah. And I think something else is that now you can have a conversation with it, right? It remembers, you can have a real chat because before it's prompt based, like the graphic ones that were popular a month and a half ago, where you could say, make me a goat that looks like an astronaut. And then it makes all these goats that look like astronauts. But then it forgets, like if you then say, okay, make him look like Flavio, it has no, it has no context. It doesn't remember. And now the new ones do. And that's, that, that, that's what makes it magical too. So let's jump into a couple of use cases. So one is you can have the, so it's like a chat prompt and it's free. Anybody could do it. It's on, it's at chat.openai.com. You sign up for a free account and then you can just start typing. And so an example of one that I saw was you can say, create a poem about Flavio and Taylor who started a podcast and they're both business people living in New York city. And then you can, you could tell it a prompt like that. And then about 15 seconds later, it'll create a poem. And then you could say, okay, make it rhyme. 
and then it'll rewrite it and make the whole thing rhyme. Or you could say, put it in the, make it sound like Eminem and it'll write it as if Eminem was rapping it. And so it cre created this funny business idea in my head, which was, what if you could ask people some prompts about the relationship? So about their significant other and them, and then have the AI kind of generate a poem for them. Um, so I put together some questions. I create this type form, send it around in, in one of our group threads and had it put together a few questions like, what's your name? What's your significant other's name? How did you meet? How long have you been together? What do you all like to do together? Where do you live? Do you all live together? Do you have any children, pets? Do you have any funny stories you want to share? What's your favorite thing about your significant other? So 10 questions about the relationship. And so I sent this around people. So a few people filled it out and then I fed those answers into chat, into the chat and said, make me a poem that rhymes. And it was fantastic. Flavio, you saw a few of them. And so it got me thinking, maybe this is a business, right? Maybe you could create a business where the API does 95% of the work and you just have to get customers. So you just have to find people that want a cool poem. So I asked the chat API, uh, chat GPT, what would be a good name for this business? And it came up with one name, Love's Eternal Frame, because I said it would be a poem inside of a picture frame. And instead of Love's Eternal Flame, it made it Love's Eternal Frame. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to go see if that's available. I bought the .com. It was. Went and created a Shopify, went on 99designs and started bidding out design for the poem. But I realized that I don't really have time to create another business. So it kind of it's died on the vine. But I still think that this is an idea where you could run Facebook ads especially right now or around Valentine's Day to say, hey, do you want a unique gift for your significant other and a custom poem designed just around you and your significant other's kind of relationship? Do, do you, a, what, what do you think of that idea, Flavio? And B, do, do you think that there's going to be all kinds of these kind of new AI-driven ideas coming about? Yeah, I actually asked the guy I was on a call with earlier today if he would use this service to write a poem for his significant other. And he said, yeah. And does that website work right now, by the way? Or <laughs> what's left to be done besides ads to get it live? I created the type form. So the type form is just, you know, you fill out. It, it needs like a real website. I use an AI logo generator to create a logo, but there's nothing really up there right now. So the Shopify is up there, but it really needs a theme. It's a classic scenario where getting to the 80% takes four hours, but the last 20% takes four years. So it's, it's not really live. Also, there's like a pricing conversation. Just put up the type form. I'd be curious how many people, especially after this episode, put it in. If you just put the type form up and see how many people actually take the time to complete it. All right. Okay, fine. We'll I'll redirect, the... I'll redirect the website. So after this goes live, <laughs> I'll make loveseternalframe.com. Go to the type form and uh, let's see if anybody's interested. And in... yeah. <laughs> maybe that's a better way of doing it. I love it. Oh, what, absolutely. One other question since we're in the ideating, what would you charge for this? There's a little bit of human work, right? Like the AI is not perfect. It, it spits out a poem. You've seen some. It spits out a poem that's, it, it needs a little bit of massaging. $40. $40. What do they get? Do they get an actual framed? What's the deliverable? No, forty dollars is just the poem. For the frame thing, that's an upsell. That now you're talking a hundred or I don't know how much does a frame, how much does that cost? <laughs> five times whatever how much? Five times whatever it costs. Five times whatever it costs. <laughs> to, to actually I, frame and spend the actual shipping and all that. I think it's twenty bucks all in to frame it and ship it. Perfect. So a hundred is is what I'd charge for that. But I think you should have a no 
Because I'd do it, honestly, I'd do it right now for the 40 bucks just to get the poem. Because I might handwrite it. Not everybody's into the frame. That almost looks too prepared. Actually, that was one concern that Buddy had is that that looks like he's never written a poem. So he would, I wouldn't even know where to start. So if he does present a poem to a significant other, she'd know that there's no way he made it. <laughs> That's never happened before. <laughs> but it'll still be an interesting conversation. Look, there's other, I see, I'm reading a book right now about AI. The book is actually AI generated and, and the... Wait, it's a, a book about AI generated by AI? Yeah, the book is more about the meaning of life and tips, but it, it's AI written and human edited. Yeah, I, I'll put it in the show notes. But I really think as I was reading that, there's actually quite significant like mental health conversations inspiration that comes to it because you think first ai couldn't do that but i think it's really interesting that all the things we thought ai was gonna do like they'd be like this evil machine and calculate everything precisely and know things way more exact than humans do before they do and take it over and never do anything creative right they would do all these automation mathematical things with never arts and writing and literature and mental health and yet that, that proves to be exactly the opposite, right? It's starting in, in those areas and it's, and actually it's not that good at doing the thing about this is actually, it's not that precise. If you ask it something that happened yesterday, like it doesn't know if you ask it to you know, certain basic facts, it struggles more than it does with what I just mentioned, which is conversations about the meaning of life and what is love. And Mark Andreessen had it write a debate between a New York times author and I think a VC about the state of democracy and moderation of content, right? Like what's happening with Twitter. And it's so interesting that AI can actually come up with stuff that is pretty intriguing. So I'm quite impressed with that piece of it. I love it. I think that's a really interesting insight. It, if you asked it, what was the weather yesterday? It obviously doesn't know, not obviously, but it does not know. But if you ask it something that's much harder to do, create a Shakespeare play about this column. It'll spit it out in 20 seconds. And it, which is that that would take a human, even if you're good at that months. Okay. Let's move on. Well, to say, there's been more talks of people writing plays in the past <laughs> week than I've heard in my entire life. So I think there's definitely going to be a big boom in playwriting and somebody's got to actually reenact that, right? Perform it. I think to your point, I don't know a single friend of mine that's ever created a play. And I don't know a single friend of mine that's ever written a poem that I'm aware of yet. For some reason, we're all obsessed with writing plays and poems. All right, let's, move. let's talk about this AI avatar. What is it? And what do you think about it? Hey, do you want to guess what the most popular app is in the app store right now? WeChat. It's Lensa AI, which is an app that you upload 20 selfies into and it creates these, it, it makes you more beautiful in that it creates these AI driven selfies of you in different dimensions. It looks like very trippy sort of backgrounds, although also more professional. And, uh, and that's the top app that's really using this AI. They've had 13 million, 13 million installations of the app. And by the way, when you get on the app, it like won't let you go without paying. So every one of those people had to pay or do a trial where they promised to pay in seven days. So I just think that's incredible how this world has captivated everyone's imagination. So how much is that? Uh, it is $50 a year. And so you uh, used fact, it, what did you think? The top eight apps, or the top 100 apps in the U.S. were all AI art-related apps. Wow! It's just this thing is this thing is capturing the imagination. I before I knew about this, I used actually another app called 
avatarai.me mark promo equals dad no i'm just kidding so, uh, <laughs> so i could do the promo but anyway, that was 40 bucks so i mentioned 40 bucks for the poem idea and i uploaded it was much more manual it was like one of those type forms i had to upload and then actually didn't upload right and then two days later i was like hey the ai never generated my stuff and then a person was like oh let me look at it and then five minutes later i had a hundred photos of me in different scenarios from like mad max being on like a tank <laughs> trying to rip somebody's arm out to just like in a suit and tie. So actually a confession I have to make, don't tell anybody, but actually all my profile pictures right now, like on LinkedIn and Twitter, Instagram are all AI generated. So I'm trying to move to full AI. <laughs> right now so soon all your tweets and all your posts will be ai generated the face that they see will be ai generated so what in, what intrigues you about the kind of face stuff and what do you think is intriguing these 20 million people in the last month just looks better we all look at me i'm, I'm i don't look as good as i did yesterday or the day before and it's not getting any better so i think that these apps and these apps were popular before what's interesting there's another app called phototune i think that facetune that actually i met the founder on an airplane once and i was surprised at how immensely profitable it was and all they do is tune your you know how zoom has a top my appearance button basically did that with some other stuff i can remove backgrounds and then do a few more things and that was a hugely profitable business so it's what i find is interesting is that this is already there and popular but i think this fascination with AI that's happened the last few months just blew it even more into the mainstream. It used to be just, I don't know, Instagram influencers that, that did that. I wouldn't touch up my photos per se, so ever. But with this, it's again, captivated our imagination where we're like, hey, let's play around with this. And I think when the whole world is starting to play with something, it's just really fun for everybody. And I think it'll drive things forward faster than ever before. Love it. Cool. So uh, another example of kind of some use cases here uh, this guy, Danny posted on Twitter that, that he created this open AI, this chat driven Gmail account where his, his salesperson can email the salesperson's not very good at writing really professional emails, nice guy, but he's not great at writing professional emails. So the original text that he said, so the AI makes it into business text. So he sends over Sally, I am starts work at yours Monday from Dave. That's what he sent in and then asked the, the open AI to make it into a nice business email. So again, the original text was Sally, the customer, Sally, I am start yours work Monday from Dave. And the business version that chat AI rewrote or open AI was dear Sally, I hope this email finds you well. I am writing to let you know that I will be starting work with you on Monday. I am really looking forward to getting started. If you have any questions or need any help with anything, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Best wishes, Dave. I think that's amazing. Email already does this with autocomplete. I've noticed for myself that it's gotten even better recently. I use the autocomplete more now. I think it's getting smarter. I'm just amazed at some of these things. Totally. It's only the reason I use, so I use superhuman for my email on the computer, but my buddy's like, why don't you use it on your phone? It's, it is great, but it doesn't have that feature of autocomplete, which is why I use Gmail, the Gmail app still, because it does autocomplete your email so much 
better. So I think it's to my point that Google already has the technology and they were using it to create a competitive advantage. But now for the first time, hey, wait a second, we can have the same technology too. And we're not Google. And I think this is going to spark a lot of companies. Although what I'm concerned is like, what's a commodity here, right? If, mm. if I get how Chad GPT makes money because as an API, they can charge a few cents and people will, they have a name recognition, but for you and me, even for the poem app, right? Let's say that's super successful and all of our, all our followers do it, but then the next person can do it too. Like where's the competitive mode in this new world? Yeah. Is it creating, is it the execution or in doing the prompts? Also, I think there's a little bit of hyperbole. Do you remember in 2010, how we were two years away from fully self-driving cars? Do you remember how in 2018, we were five years away from fully autonomous AI and the robots were taking over everything? I mean, we go through these cycles where we get super excited about this stuff. And it feels like we're in one right now. Crypto is going to take over the world a year and a half ago. And now people are going to prison. It feels a little bit like it's having this big boom and bust, right? Yeah, I think, I disagree. I do think that this is for real. I buy the hype and I think the competitive moat will come from mixing in proprietary data with the available ones. For example, in my world, in healthcare, you can imagine we have prescriptions, informations, and data health records from, for people, disease history. And so once we sprinkle that into the AI text generation, or even summarization that's, that gets better at, at that, I see, I see it be better, for instance, at forecasting, if someone's gonna go to the hospital next month then all of our algorithms that we have right now, which have failed, I think, look, for example, I think this transformer, I mentioned AI yeah, moving to transformers. I think it's really powerful because it's solved a lot of problems that previous AI really struggled. One of which natural language processing and translation where since the sixties or seventies, people try to first use grammar and teach it all the grammar rules. And that didn't work because there's so many freaking exceptions to how we talk to mm -hmm. those rules that it wasn't very good. Then they built these other neural networks and models that got better. But I think with this latest one, what we've learned is if you just throw it enough huge data and this transformer model seems to perform better than any others. And by the way, nobody knows exactly why we know how it works, the model, how we build it, but no one truly knows why is it better? at generating this than it was before. We're just like, great. <laughs> we chanced upon this model in a paper. I think it was like six years ago that, that some AI researchers built this transformers. And now we're leveraging that. And I think, again, you couple that with some of this proprietary data now, okay, everybody has the algorithm, but only I have the say radiology images about for a million patients, like say United healthcare does our competitor. I can see that being super, super powerful. If these companies can leverage it, I think your point is really valid around execution that a lot of these big companies probably don't even realize it. And it's going to take them five or 10 years to get on board. And by then a smaller company could get enough radiology images <laughs> to, to stand out and make a bigger impact before the bear awakens. Yeah. It feels like we're in the first inning. Use AI in our business. We have natural language processing people on staff. I'm amazed at the difference now versus a year ago. It's quite good. It's quite interesting. We score, we've scored 40 million pieces of news by this point. We score tons of it every single day for companies all over the world. And it gets better, but I'll say that in my experience, 
none of this stuff lives up to the hype. Like the hype train is strong. It's just as strong as crypto was a year ago. And we see what happened there. So I am just, I love this stuff. I think it's really interesting. I just, I'm not like they, there are people on Twitter saying a year from now, there won't be any graphic designers or there won't be any poem writers or there won't be any content writers. There won't be any blog posts because they're all just gonna be made by AI. And that's what I'm like, okay, guys, come on. There's still are going to be content writers a year from now. I, I, I feel very, very confident saying union. that. Yeah, the poem writer union are going to shut down chat GPT. Now, my only other thought on this is that I wonder, okay, it's to your point around United Healthcare and radiology or x-rays or whatnot. I wonder if it creates this where people will end up getting exclusions where they're like, hey, I'm United Healthcare, Healthcare and I'm going to pay $100 million for this data set or for exclusion. So nobody else has access to this kind of open technology or the ability or that in so many other areas of business. And right now this feels very open. It's in the very early days, but if you start getting things locked down like that, I wonder how it changes the trajectory. That's such a good point because I think the cat's out of the bag now. Everybody has the technology, great, we can use it. But I, and it seems like things are more open, but I would argue that they're actually not. If you, and I started doing more and more deep research into the AI world. And while some parts are really open, like the models you're talking about, some parts are actually really closed, like getting data that's useful, even advancing some of the projects around natural language understanding and face recognition. I was working on an app for that over Thanksgiving. And the maintainer for that app is he's gone. He hasn't worked there four years. He's He's off the map. He's probably working at some private company. And now nobody's maintaining that project because I think there's such a rush to scoop everything. So like I have my own competitive advantage at my big company or small company that even though it seems like things are more open and they're coming, I would argue actually things are getting more closed because people are realizing, shit, what is my competitive advantage in this world? So I'm just going to shut down everything. If I was going to share data before with like you and the spirit of interoperability, I think the pendulum's going to swing the other way where people are not going to want to share data because it'll be their last competitive advantage remaining. All right, let's move on to the final topic. How do you know a startup idea is good? I yeah, is, let me just set it up. Palmer from our audience signed in this question, which asked, how did we go about our startup ideas? Do we have an idea? And then went out and, okay, great. How do I build this? And how do I go about it? Or were we doing something else like he's currently doing? And then some epiphany happened. <laughs> You're like, hey, let's, we started this. And then I think I thought it was relevant to go into a little deeper and share. Okay, idea is one thing, but then how do you know if it's a good one? So go ahead. Yeah, so I, I sold my last business 2018. I did not have an idea of what I wanted to do next. I did, but I was exploring and looking. And I remember that I, my last name's Trusty. I had this idea. One of my former clients told me, you should go into the forklift tire business. And I was like, okay. So I started doing research on forklift tires and something came to me where the name Trusty Tires was just, it had a good ring to it. So I bought trustytires.com. I started telling people Moderation. I was going to start this tire company. I said it's five people. And then all of a sudden, all of my friends had heard it. Hey, how's Trusty Tires going? How's Trusty Tires? And it's it, a catchy <laughs> name. It's a catchy name. I still think it is. If anybody in the audience wants to launch a tire business, I'm happy to go in on it. I think that, but the downside is that there's really only one manufacturer for these specific types of tires that the guy who gave me this idea, that there's only one. It was in Tennessee. They would, they didn't want to do a joint venture with me. I was just some schmuck that they had never heard of. It's a very 
insular industry, right? It's there's not a ton of the everybody knows each other. And so that that business or that idea never really became a business died. And why? It was because I think it was an interesting idea, certainly a great name, but not like the skills that I bring to the table aren't what's needed to get a business like that working. Like what you need to make that business work is relationships. You need to have been in the tire business a long time. You need to know other manufacturers of forklifts. And you had to have really been in the forklift business a long time. And my skills around sales and marketing and how to lead generation it's not valuable there. And so I think that to to the initial question, how do I figure out something that that I'm going to do? What kind of business? I think it starts with, am I interested in it? But number two, it's how can I provide value? Like where's the leverage that I can provide? I'm good at sales, but I'm really only good at a specific type of sales. Like I'm good at kind of business to business sales. You wouldn't want me selling you personal insurance. That's not the kind of sales I do. And, and then I'm good at marketing and outbound email and things like that, generating leads, generating excitement. I know those things, but that doesn't apply to every business. And if I had a potential business partner who already had those skills, then I'm not helpful because you can't have two people who have the same skill set running a business. That's just a disaster. The last thing I'll say is that my two co-founders in this company in Signal Insights, they have very different skill sets than me. We have some overlap, but in reality, we all do very different things. We're all really good at it. And that's what makes, in my experience, a great partnership is complementary skills, not two great salespeople going to town or two great ops people. So that would be my answer. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is interesting. I think there's three things that should be considered in starting a business. Number one approach is, you know, Mitch Hedberg, the comedian. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he was funny. When he was, he was really funny. Yeah. And <laughs> one of his jokes was that if he's in the shower and he thinks of a really good joke but he doesn't have a pen he just his pen's too far so he just convinces himself that whatever he was thinking of wasn't actually funny and <laughs> i think of that as a as sort of an idea in the startup world in that it really needs to be an idea that gets you to turn off the shower go get the pen and write it down right and in other words really go and do that extra effort and go out of your way what people often talk is you can't stop thinking about it. you're just obsessed with that thing so that's number one two i always research the other companies in this space there's always companies in this space if you think you have an idea that no one else has thought of you're just not good at googling i think that you get those companies i get those companies and i find i look at them and i say hey how much money have they raised right on crunch base or pitch book and then what do i think of them are, have they missed something that i think is so key to the idea that all of them are somehow not really addressing or missing or i look at them like wow i'm really jealous i wish i had started this from company this is a great company yeah? <laughs> i wish i'd started in which case it's too late i shouldn't do it <laughs> so they've already done it and there's no one i can do it and then third i'd agree with you that it's more on it's more about embarking on a partnership with a person than it is honestly about the idea. So in my case, I knew I wanted to start something. Actually, the first idea was SurveyMonkey, but donating to charity 
when you took a survey, so if Avis sent you a, a survey after you rented a car, and you're like, hey, thanks for renting with Avis. Tell us about your experience. I'll donate a dollar to a charity of your choice if you take the survey. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. You complete it, and then you donate to charity of your choice. It was really great to get the charities on board, but Avis was okay donating tens of thousands of dollars to charity for every survey <laughs> they sent out. So that was a bad idea. And I didn't have a co-founder, and that was very sad and depressing. And at a Python meetup, I met Matt, who was a pharmacist and a Python engineer, and I knew nothing. I knew zero about pharmacy or healthcare, but I thought he was really interesting. And the more I learned about the space, the more intrigued I was. And so that is how I said, hey, let's start a company. Really, I would say the number one reason for me was just to work with Matt because he's he just seemed so interesting. And then over time, it grew on me where I became obsessed with healthcare to the point there actually, he became more technology guy and I became more obsessed with healthcare. And even at two years in, we were like, hey, healthcare sucks. We should rebuild it from scratch. Why don't we, why don't we start a health insurance company? And for a number of good reasons, it was like, no, that's a bad idea. We're a tech company. And, but, the, but to my first criteria, it was the kind of thing that just won't go away. And then a year later, I'd be like, hey, what if I write a blog post about how to start a health insurance company and then maybe somebody else would do it? So I wrote this blog post and published it and, and even hired consultants to get all that. And we spent money to create a guide to how to start an insurance business, hoping that somebody else would do it, knowing that we wouldn't. And then another year would go by and people read the blog post and be like, hey, what happened to that? And again, years go by until eventually Josh, my current co-founder, said, hey, we should just do it. He was a person that believed enough that together we jumped in and took on that large. And I'd say another big piece with choosing a co-founder where I disagree with you a bit, I think early on, it's very nice to have complementary skills. I think later on in the business, it's actually more important to have long-term vision alignment. So what in the early days doesn't matter because they're like, what do we do? Would you sell for 10 million? Or would you want to grow it to a billion? Or would you see this as a, a huge company going public? Or do you see this more as a kind of a small thing chugging along? In the early days, I remember it doesn't matter. We just got to survive for another day. So here's what we're going to do in five years or 10 years. But when you do go five years down the road, you met, assuming you do survive, those questions become really important. And I think what's, what's in my case, and Josh, I feel like you have that long-term alignment to to be able to, even though maybe day to day we overlap a bit, we have similar complementary skills. We're both would say the same thing in meetings. We're like almost we don't need to be in the same meeting because we're the same thing. But to think, oh, that's duplication of work. I think it's actually really important to have a co-founder that does reinforce that, and are, you are on the same page on the long term, even when you overlap data. We'll agree to disagree. Agree on the long term vision. One one other one other quick point on the partners is that in my experience, I've had partners in every business I've had. And in my experience, like the trusty tires, I didn't have a partner, right? I couldn't find a good partner for it. This business was actually originally called Trusty Insights. I knew I didn't want to keep it as Trusty Insights, but it was a placeholder name. And I was pitching the idea to people to see if somebody would come on board because that was really important to me. If I can't convince a co-founder to come on board, I have no chance of convincing clients to come on board. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's my opinion that it starts with a partnership. If I can't convince a partner to dedicate their professional life to this, like I am, then there's no hope of convincing somebody to give me money as a service. But another company I helped co-found called Aventi health that was the case where where this person had the idea but was looking for a little extra support financially technologically and i think just a partnership and once those blockers were cleared this person was able to really 
focused on that business and all of them enjoy working and growing it. Anything else on the other final thoughts on how do you know a startup idea is good? Have you had ideas that, that you shot down other than the survey idea? Were there others that you really liked or that you thought were good, but you ended up I have a list of like 40 ideas right now. And right every day I have to shut down 20 ideas just to get through the day. I wish I could just like give it to somebody and just like, Hey, go do them, go raise money, go get it done. So yeah, I think this happens all the time. The hard part, I see people really overanalyzing ideas a lot too. So you think like what I said about origin companies and creating lists and meeting with people. I think most, a lot of people get stuck in that process. Oh, I'm still analyzing. I'm still, still really assessing. I think at the end of the day, there is a leap of uncertainty that one has to make with limited information. And so one has to be comfortable doing that. It just seems like startup world is all about making decisions very rapidly with information that you could have more of if you would wait, but you got to make it now with less information. So you're constantly having to make those bad decisions that could be better if you just waited, but there's not enough time. Cause if you wait for whatever reason, that opportunity, that business, it won't, it won't grow, it won't be around. So if I take one advice for folks is to make those bad decisions, move quickly and be comfortable in that chaotic environment. Yeah, I agree. The only last thing I'd say is that money talks. People will tell you all day, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, you should do that. And in, in this business, I knew it was serious when my largest client, my last business said, I'll sign a PO, pay for that. The product wasn't even a real thing. It was just some sketches. And they looked at it and said, we'll buy that. And I think that's very different than somebody saying, you should go do that, Flavio. That's a cool idea for you. Money talks. And really, I don't listen to someone's opinion in that way, in that startup phase, unless they're willing to give me money. If you're willing to give me money or a commitment for money, then great, then let's talk. And if we can't get it, then it's not a business. And money talks, I'd say not only in sales, but even in the partnership and co-founder investor level. So for example, like I mentioned with Troy, Josh was willing to invest his own personal funds immediately. And that signaled to me that, hey, if this person's willing to put their hard earned cash, that's a very serious commitment than just any words you could say of support and same with investors. And I'll even speak when I invested in Eventy Health, I think that signaled a commitment to that, to, to that co-founder saying, Hey, this is somebody putting a significant amount of stake here. And that gives it a weight a seriousness. It starts feeling like, I remember when it happened for me, I felt like, okay, this is a job now, right? There's money, there's money floating around. Time is going, expenses are being made. I really felt the pressure more than ever before once money was in the account. All right. Any, anything else? I think it's a wrap. I think it's a wrap. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flavio. Seize the day on it. Until next time. Hold it down. Hold it down.